Well, thank you, worship team, and good morning, and almost Happy New Year. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 136, page 504 in our Bibles here. Well, if you've had the privilege of hanging out with young children or young grandchildren as we have this Christmas season, you've seen a lot of joy and excitement and uh, gotten a lot of hugs, but you might have also seen some uh, complaining and, and crabbiness that comes along with that when you're young. Um, Bedtime routines are out of sync, there's so many relatives, you're overfed, you're overstimulated, and um, so you have some joy, and you have some meltdowns, all in the same beautiful, wonderful package that you love. And, and, and the vast variety of expressions of their emotions doesn't change the fact that you love them dearly and you'll do it all over again next year at this time if you can be with your family. And if you understand that, you understand a little bit of God's love for us and what God really experiences day by day with us because maybe among all the rejoicing and gratitude that we might have done this season... God heard a little complaining because there's plenty of hard things. Losses, frustrations, and disappointments, and crises, and fears. So welcome to God's world if you understand being a parent. And welcome to the world of the Psalms. Because in the Psalms we find all these expressions of emotions where you'll find a, you'll find a Psalm that seems to be focused on complaints and despair. And that's okay. And you find a psalm that's focused on thanksgiving and praise. And so this morning, as we kind of wrap up our year, I'd like to focus on one of those thanksgiving psalms. If you, if you could have heard the ancient Israelites sing this psalm, and that's what psalms are, songs, you'd have heard them sing over and over, a little bit like our first song today, His Love Endures Forever. Because every verse, if you look at that whole section, 26, 26 verses, everyone ends with his love endures forever. So each verse is going to tell us something for which we should be thankful, and then a reminder, because his love endures forever. He never stops loving us. So as much as possible, let's, um, for the next 30, 40 minutes, put our complaints on the shelf, or at least see our complaints and our concerns and our hurts and our despairs in light of all that for which we have to be thankful. Verses 1 to 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. So first of all, in verse 1, give thanks because of who God is. God is by nature good, and he never stops loving us. So we, we say God is good, we sing it, I'm pretty sure we believe it. Um, someone has suggested that God's goodness 
as a, as a trait or attribute is like the sum total of all of his traits together. And uh, the thought might be that it's something like what we find here in Exodus 33. When Moses one time said God, he had such a close relationship with God, they, they, it's like they could speak face to face, which is what prayer is all about. But God, he, said, he said, God, can I see your glory? And then Moses, so Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's an interesting response because Moses wants to see a glimpse of glory, and then God says, okay, I'll give you a little glimpse. And, and there's this, if you kept reading in that passage, you see how God like protects him in a cleft of the rock and passes by and gets a, some flash of something. But God retitles his glory as his goodness. I'll show you my goodness. So in heaven someday when we are able, because we're in a new body, to absorb and actually see the glory of God is what we're actually seeing, his goodness. And might it be that what we're really experiencing is suddenly feeling, seeing how the whole hurts and fears and disappointments were part of his goodness. God's goodness in his own words in this passage is mercy and compassion. If God were not good, we'd be toast instantly. Because of the flip side of God's nature is his holiness, which is a total abhorrence of all that is sinful. And so we would be destroyed if not for his goodness. So if you're breathing this morning, it's because he has shown you mercy and compassion, which is because he is good and we are here. God's always been good. Day one when he created, he began to say, it's good. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The very first day, God says, I'm doing something good. What a loss if you're an atheist or unbeliever to see all of the beauty, starting with sunrise each day, and not see the goodness of God. In fact, God is the only one that is unending goodness. He's the originator. So Jesus, when uh, uh, this man called him a good rabbi or good teacher, said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, you realize no one is good except God alone. He's the originator of good. So the question maybe this morning to begin with is, has, have we thanked God for being good, not just for doing good things? So it goes beyond just thanking him for his blessings, though that's how we see it, but for being good, and does he only hear, does he mostly hear complaints, or does he hear the thanksgiving for his goodness? His love endures forever, verse 1, and every other verse. Some of you have a translation that says maybe his steadfast love endures forever, or his loving kindness endures forever. There's, a, there's an Old Testament word, hesed, 
H-E-S-E-D, and it's, it's used every phrase here at the end of each, each verse. It's a description of God's covenant love with Israel, that special relationship he had with Israel as a, as a nation. It's a, it's a family kind of love. It's an Old Testament version of unconditional love. It's relational love. It's exclusive love. You didn't buy gifts this Christmas for everybody in this room. But if you're with your family, you may have bought a gift for your family because you, you spend money and effort and gifts on your family that you do for nothing else. People travel for many, many miles to be with family. There's that special bond. And so as we, as we read about God's love for us, realize there is a special bond implied by this love. This isn't just uh, you know, a shotgun kind of a love. This is not even the same as God so loved the world, though he does. This is, I have chosen you as my family, and I love you in a family way. So if you are a child of God by faith in Christ, this is the kind of love God has for you. If you don't know if you're a child of God by faith, that's the most important question you can face. Am I in the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ alone? Because this is his love for you. Interestingly, what this psalm never includes or mentions is any list of Israel's sins and failures, though there were many. And though there were other times when the stories, a story of, of Israel is recounted with all of their sins and failures, this, this psalm just leaves it out. It's good for us to sometimes just put our complaints aside or even our sense of our sin aside, just absorb and say, God, you love me fully, unconditionally. You don't earn this love. You don't have to defend yourself as worthy of this love. You don't need to compare yourself with other Christians to see if perhaps you are, you know, a favorite of God. One or two steps above somebody else. Because that's what little children do. They point, they point fingers at one another and they make their case for why mom and dad should treat them better than their wicked siblings. <laughs> but God's word assures us we have nothing to prove. And of course, there's nothing we can lose because he sees us as family with this unconditional love. So only God is good and he's the only God. Verse 2 and 3, give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thank to the, thanks to the Lord of lords. So if God is the only one who is good, it's a good thing he is God. Because we don't have a choice of gods. Can't choose your God any more than you can pick your parents. If he was not compassionate and merciful, where would we be? There is no runner-up. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. When children complain, they sometimes point to friends, parents who, they get to do this, or they, they, they get that. Or... But you can't do that with God because there is only him. You cannot choose a God, but you can replace God. And so many people spend their lives seeking to replace him with an altar of their own choosing, the altar of work all the time, or the altar of try to have fun all the time, or the altar of trying to control the people around me all the time, or whatever it might be, but his love endures forever. There's no God, there's no better deal than this. 
So don't go looking for false gods. It's unconditional. It's love endures in hard times and through our complaints. Because this, this God is not the Santa Claus kind of love who makes legalistic lists about whether we've been good or bad and you better not pout, you better not cry. No, we, we carry that Santa Claus myth sometimes over into our understanding of God and just assume surely he loves us more when we're doing better. But the immortal God who could destroy us all by a simple thought of judgment has this fierce loyalty to us in which he would never love us less. It's an unconditional loyal love. My sin does not deter God's love for me. Absorb that. My sin does not deter his love for me. And my trials do not disprove God's love for me. So what I've done is not the condition of love. What I'm suffering is, is not correlated to his love. His love endures forever. And so if you're in a circumstance <clears throat> in which you, you, you hurt, don't assume you've discovered some flaw in God. You've seen the effects of sin. Correct your view by coming back to verse 1. He is good. He is doing something good. You can fight it. You can deny it. You can get angry at God sometimes. And you're free to accuse God. But when all is said and done, God is, is good. And my sin does not deter it. And my sufferings do not uh, disprove his love for me. As we move ahead in the psalm, uh, the rest of the, the psalm, the, the verses you might notice begin with something like, to him who, to him who, or who, and it, it's like it's completing a sentence that begins with the same thing as verse 1 and verse 26, give thanks to him. So this is a psalm of thanks, give thanks to him who, and then he begins to list. And he begins with, after stating the character of God is good, he goes about proving it by saying, look at the creation of God. So just open your eyes and look around, and you'll see the goodness of God, because only a God so good can make a universe that works so well. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. The great wonders might be a statement of, he created everything. Okay, Everything in the universe. And he says, let's start with the sky, verse 5. He made the heavens. Heavens would be everything that isn't earth. Everything not on this planet. Everything that, that, that we see or that, that comes upon the planet. So, so we, see, we see the stars, moon, and so forth. He, he will mention later. But you know, things come from the heavens. Rain comes from the heaven to, 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 to fill the soil, to make food. And sun comes out, and we need that. And, and snow falls sometimes, just not for Christmas. Uh, temperatures are affected all around from the heavens. Uh, and it's all so amazingly predictable and stable that you, you can Google what time will the sun rise in Port Washington on June 1. It'll tell you to the minute because it happens exactly the same 
every year. How could that be? What does that tell us? That the whole universe is scheduled so closely. It tells us that he did it by his wisdom and understanding, verse 5, who by his understanding made the heavens. To me, the greatest argument proving the biblical account of creation, six-day creation, the greatest argument is the fact that it is so perfectly designed. When you see a great piece of sculpture, you don't, you don't assume that, wow, that rock just fell the right place, did it? You know that there is a sculptor who fashioned it, who by their mind and creativity put it together. And so when you see this vast universe, and it, you, don't, you don't just wonder, wow, that was lucky. <laughs> lucky all the molecules fell in the right place to do the right thing every, every time. And the fact that there is among this whole universe one planet in which mankind can be safely and surely hosted with such precision and such reliability so as to provide food and water and then to be made in such brilliance of mind that we can plan and provide and build and design. And tell me again how an explosion of molecules billions of years ago put that together. No, by his understanding. We either believe that God made it or he did not. And if he did not, then there's really no point in anything, understanding or believing anything else in this, in this book. But if he did design and plan it, he is good and he is infinite and he is eternal. And we must take seriously every word and every page of this book. Because that's when the word and the world begins to make sense. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, verse 1. And that lays the foundation for the rest of our confidence. Verse 6 points out that he spread out the earth upon the waters. I love that picture. It's kind of like picture a globe. You got a big globe here, and, and there's water and there's land. It's like God says, okay, here's the Atlantic, here's the Pacific, here's Lake Michigan. Kind of push it up here and push that down there and make this deep here and, and create life for both land and, and, and sea. I, I, you know, I've lived by Lake Michigan now for decades. and Though there's been times the water levels are up or down or this or that or you lose a few feet of the bluff or whatever. It's just, it, if you just want to think about the great goodness of God, it's just to realize how he put together our little our little piece of the, of the planet. I've always enjoyed seeing where land and water meet. The past about 15 years or so, I've been privileged to take a week or two to pursue my passion of motorcycle touring and got, got to see a lot of different parts of the U.S. and a little bit of Canada. And <clears throat> Nothing stirs my heart of praise like just seeing this vast beauty that he has made and, and, and where land meets water to see an ocean. Uh, up in Maine, or just I enjoy Lake Superior along the Minnesota side, where you can. There's no houses to get in the way. You just see the water the whole time on one side, and the land on the other side, or, or just to to go up and down the Mississippi River, like I enjoy that ride, and and you just see where, it all, or just taking the long route to church and going by the bluff. God did that. Why? 
His love endures forever. And he thought, they're going to enjoy this. They're going to like it this way. He could have made it all in squares, kind of like Kansas. <laughs> he could have made it all gray and black and white. Said he filled it endlessly with colors, and then he, he throws up a rainbow at certain moments, and, and, and the mist comes up, and you can see the colors, and you see the seas rage or foam or roar or, or just be totally still, and you see that perfect reflection. And he says, they'll enjoy that. Because he cares about us personally. He cares about the things we will enjoy. He knows how we think because he made our minds to think the way we think. Psalm 139 says he knows every word before we even say it. That's how infinite his knowledge is. And yet he loves us in spite of our worst thoughts and words. And he rejoices at our best thoughts and words. Give thanks to him. Verse 7, who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. Boy, where do we start with all of, all of that beauty? Just, just the Psalms. You know, the, you know, David just was thinking about this over and over. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. You realize it's like, in other words, the heavens are talking. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. And so they're saying, God's saying, I am here, and I am good, and I love you. I deserve your praise. We spend so much time with our, our screens, sometimes we just need to spend a little more time with the non-pixelated views of what God has made. So something, hopefully, of, of his creation especially draws your heart to say he must really love us. In verses 10 to 22, uh, the psalmist combines a history lesson with a love story, Israel's story and how God took care of them. And maybe you know most of this story, maybe some of it's new and it's, it's like snapshots of Israel's uh, story. And as we, as we think through Israel's story, let's, hopefully you can begin to think about how God has also crafted your story, whether it's the past year or decade or 40, 60, 80 years. Um, verses 10 to 12, to him, that is, give thanks to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. It's a summary, really, of, of Exodus chapters 1 to 12. Uh, here's the prequel a little bit. In Genesis, is that God chose Abraham and says, I'm going to make a great nation. So there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons become the 12 tribes. And all of, all of that line only is like 70 people when they're, they're threatened with extinction by famine, but God delivers them by sending Joseph ahead, who is a prisoner in Egypt and a slave until God does his thing to make him the prime minister of Egypt. And Israel arrives, 70-some people, and God delivers and keeps them. But then they are there for several hundred years where God does this, this thing of blessing them by giving them 
multiplication to become a nation of two million people, while at the same time, he allows Pharaoh to enslave them. And so they are crying out for deliverance. So God called Moses to lead them out. But Pharaoh is stubborn because now he has this slave workforce. And God says, let my people go. And uh, through Moses and uh, Pharaoh's stubborn and nine plagues pass. Horrible things that God does to get their attention. Blood filling the river. Frogs and flies and boils everywhere, hail, locusts, darkness, nasty judgments of, of God to say to Pharaoh, I am here, you have to submit to me. And Pharaoh keeps saying no until finally God strikes down the firstborn of everyone in Egypt except those who put the blood on the doorpost, symbolizing that our only salvation would someday would be through Christ, whose blood was shed for us. And finally, Pharaoh says, okay, go, and this huge nation leaves, uh, loaded down actually with treasures that the frightened Egyptians eagerly gave them. But that only gets them to the Red Sea, where it seems once again hope is lost, because before them is the sea. Behind them, turns out the Egyptians changed their mind and says, we can't let this slave labor go so we're going to chase him down. Amazing how Pharaoh was so driven by the thought of financial loss that he becomes completely irrational and chases down the Israelites. Verse 13. To him, or give thanks to him, God, who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever, and brought Israel through the midst of it, what, the sea, his love endures forever, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever forever. So on that critical night when the two million people nation was seemingly caught between the sea in front and the Egyptians behind, God erects a pillar of cloud on one side and fire on the other cloud to give darkness to the Egyptians, but it was light on the side of the Israelites. And Moses stretches out his staff over the, over the Red Sea and God sends this wind that sweeps a path dry right through the Red Sea with walls of water on both sides. And the whole Israelite nation is able that night to pass through on this path to the other side. Morning comes and the Egyptians realize that their prey, their slaves have gotten away. And so they hasten into that same Red Sea. And Moses puts his staff over the sea, and the waters crush Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. You read the whole story sometime of Exodus, just one through like 15, and ask yourself if God can take care of you. And the story continues of how God led them through the desert wilderness the next 38 to 40 years. Eventually brought them all the way to the promised land after defeating various kings to just even get them there. Verse 16, to him who led his people through the desert. That's a long story. His love endures forever. 
Who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. And by the way, that's the land where Israel is today. God picked out that land for his people and for some 2,000 years from A.D. 70 when the Romans swept in, they did not control the land from A.D. 70 till about 1948 when they became a nation and once again had that land and Israel's enemies hate his people and are fighting over it still. Israel's story is a story of love. What's yours? Just a different story. But reading this set of events is just to be like a marker to say, have you thought through, as we sang, great is your faithfulness. Start thinking through the last year. Think through your life. Why were you born where there's plenty of food instead of where there is not enough? How many of you have a counter going this Christmas season filled with stuff you should stop eating? (laughs) Why were we born here? More importantly, how did you come to faith in Christ? Was it like my privilege was to come through to understand about salvation through my mom and dad? In fact, the gospel had come to my family on both sides, moms and dads, five generations before me when they lived in what is now Ukraine. And five of the Litke siblings made it to America, including my great-grandfather, Wilhelm, while three other sisters uh, stayed and were seemingly killed or died of starvation in the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917 and onward. Uh, My great-grandfather, Wilhelm, in Kansas for some 20 years, got letters from them begging for money and food, and my dad told, told about uh, one time sending them $5 as a teenager, not knowing if the gift ever arrived, but then the letters stopped, and the family line stopped in then Russia, which, well, I'm, well, I'm here with this big family that keeps growing. Why? Why did God spare me? Why didn't you die in that car accident that you close call that you can remember maybe having or that health scare uh, maybe when you were young that you, you, your parents went through or the cancer that you survived or whatever. We don't know all God's ways. We complain so easily and forget his goodness so quickly. Our, our story of eternal salvation is certainly the biggest display of his goodness. So where did you hear about the clarity of Jesus Christ and him alone paying for your sins. Was it, was it in church as it often could be? Was it from friends? Was it from, from parents? Did you go to a concert? Did you pick up a Gideon Bible? Did someone give you a Bible? Were you reading something on the internet? Whatever the story may be, it's how God brought the good news, the gospel to you because his love endures forever. He pursued you. He found you. He saved you. You responded by faith. And in so many other ways of deliverance. Maybe he's delivered you from a dark place emotionally, from a 
financial crisis you thought you'd never get through, a health crisis, there will be more. But will we trust in the goodness of a God who brought us this far? His love endures forever. Verse 23 and verse 24 then kind of summarize the nature of God's care for his needy children. To the one, give thanks to the one who remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. <clears throat> the low estate is, is, is lowly or, or humiliating place, or one scholar actually translates it, when we were down, as in discouragement, emotionally discouraged or depressed. It's real. God sees and he remembers us when we're low. And freed us from our enemies. Again, that could refer to Pharaoh. Uh, could be the story of the judges, Deborah, Gideon, uh, Samson, others who delivered them, or the kings, Saul, David, Solomon. His love, that's why. His love endures forever. God has us here for a reason. And then we come, I, I love this verse 25, which is just, it's not like the others, and yet it is. And who gives food to every creature. That's how good God is. How do those animals out there survive? How do those deer survive? Eating Priscilla's flowers, mostly during the summer. They, they gather in our backyard, but, but someone gave us some deer venison, so we're getting them back, so... <laughs> But, but he knows that, God knows I enjoy watching the squirrels when I'm having breakfast on the front porch in the summer. They're chasing each other up and down the tree. He knows that a couple times I've been to top of Mount Evans and those, those white mountain goats up there. And so we've got to feed them so you and I can enjoy them. God's goodness is in the sky, it's in the animal world, it's in the planet, it's in your story that God is writing. And uh, one day we'll see his goodness and everlasting love in the final copy of our story. Verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Ever. Heaven is the abode of God. It was the abode of God before he created us. It is the abode of God right now when we cannot see him. It'll be the abode of God when we arrive there in person. But he is the God, the eternal God of heaven. And whether we get there through death or rapture, but it, it is, we will see his perfect love and his enduring love and his complete goodness while we've been in, in, in like a waiting room of, of, of mixed uh, uh, reports. And he's loved us until now. And he loves us right now right now. And then one day in heaven, all of his goodness will be made clear and our praise will be perfect. And so we thank him. As we close out 2023, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just reminded that you are good when so many things can feel so raw and hard. Whether it's some, some uh, virus that is uh, 
marred our vacation time, right? Or if it's our a relationship that has some real unsettled pieces or there's a memory that uh, we can't shake. Uh, if it's a hurt that is hidden, if it's a sin or failure, whatever it is, Lord, that, that we would submit it all to you knowing that you love us right through that thing. And it never wavers. Your love never wavers regardless of our condition if we are your child. I pray for any who has uh, not placed their faith in Christ as Savior, that, Lord, you would help us understand your free gift is salvation. We do not earn a place in your family, but we take it as a gift of your grace when we trust in Christ who died for our sins and rose again. And in whose name we pray. Amen.